as a business owner, you will have many decisions to make that are filled with discomfort and uncertainty. How can you increase your chance of making good decisions when you're filled with doubt, unconsciously overconfident, or facing a very unpleasant situation? And how can you teach your leadership team good decision-making skills? In this short series, we'll take a look at how you can make more effective decisions and how to go about teaching your company leaders how to make good decisions. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So last week, we talked about failure and why it happens, and it happens for a number of reasons, like a failure to act, a failure to act on time, acting without forethought, making emotional or or erratic overcorrections, not following up and not following through. And we talked about how having a solid, known decision-making process can help overcome this. You're much more likely to make good decisions consistently if you have a consistent process you follow. We've also been talking about over the last several weeks about how uh, people in leadership roles are not, generally speaking, naturally born great leaders. This is generally a skill we have to enhance, we have to learn, we have to teach, we have to uh, practice, we need lots of reps, we have to evaluate, um, we have to take take, uh, critique when we don't want to, even from ourselves, sometimes from our employees, sometimes from peers. This is something we have to work at. If you ask any number of people how what percentage of bosses they worked for in their careers were good, it would be a very low number and simultaneously, if you ask a large number of people who are business owners and managers and leaders, do you think you're a good leader, it would be overwhelmingly a high number. So a low number for assessing other folks, a high number for assessing ourselves. Welcome to human nature. This is just how it works. But I believe we have to put uh, real effort into improving these skills, especially things as basic as decision-making, because this covers a wide swath of things. It could be Hiring, it could be training, it could be marketing, it could be improving processes, it could be deciding what kinds of um, customers, what kinds of work you want to go after. You know, for people who are years three, four, and five, you start figuring out that every customer out there is not your customer, and you got to figure out which customers you want and what kind of work you want. Having a, 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 a decision-making process that you follow will help you have positive results. And... If you're going to have any kind of freedom in your from your business, you must train a leadership team to make decisions so you can go do other things. Those other things could be taking a vacation, taking a four-day weekend, starting another business, uh, buying real estate, starting a charity, volunteering, golfing on Wednesdays. Whatever your version of this is, whatever this version of, of having freedom from your business is, you have to teach people to do things that you're currently doing. You have to teach them how to make decisions that you're currently making. In order to have confidence that they can do that successfully, it's very helpful to have the ability to teach them a decision-making process to follow. So I'm going to give you mine. Uh, This is part two of a three-part series. You may not like some of the things I have. That's okay. 
I would encourage you to alter this to suit your needs and suit your style and suit your your particular um, wishes and your values and things like that. But I would really encourage you to have a process, especially if you're trying to teach a leadership team how to make good decisions. The path from wherever they are now to the point where they're going to make decisions to the degree you need them to is teaching them how to solve problems and make good decisions. So if you want to build a business you can completely step away from someday, they're going to have to do everything you do today. They're going to have to make every decision you make today. Or if you want to have a limited role, they're going to have to make a great deal of, of decisions that you are currently making. You have to be able to teach them how to make decisions in a way that you will trust their judgment and you will know that they're following a process that is proven to yield positive results. Uh, we need to do that so we can, um, we need to have this process so we can do what is could be objectively objectively defined as making good decisions. Not what our gut tells us in the moment, not what our emotions tell us when, when it's happening, but we can objectively look back and say, this was a good decision-making process. This is what we want to teach. And we want to be able to teach our leadership team to make decisions so we can trust their abilities, and moreover, so our employees will trust their abilities. The key here is we have to teach a decision-making process that the employees will trust. We cannot develop a, a leadership team and promote a group of people who are making decisions so poorly that the employees don't trust them. We cannot do that. We have to teach a, a known, successful process for making decisions. So in the last episode, we covered step one, objectively assess the qualifications of the decision maker. This is sometimes hard. It's not always that hard. Listen, have, has the decision maker, who it is, me, you, your, your, your manager, your supervisor, whoever it is, have you done something like this before? Oftentimes we'll either uh, minimize the risk and liabilities goes along with something because we don't know any better. We have not really done this stuff before. We don't even know the pitfalls to look out for. And other times we're going to exaggerate things because we're afraid or, you know, we're hopeless or we're hopeful or whatever. And we're going to make a mountain, out, a molehill, a mountain out of a molehill. Um, e- either way, we just need to take a moment. Are we qualified to make this decision? Let's figure that out. The next step is, determine the specific desired outcome. And again, we got to be specific. So if you miss those two things, I would invite you to go back and listen to last week's episode. Uh, we cover those in much more detail. Here, we're going to pick it up with step three. And step three is probably um, the most overlooked step. Maybe not. It might be the second most. It's one of the, the most commonly rushed through or overlooked entirely steps. And that is, again, objectively assessing where you are today. So here's what happens. You'll go to a, a conference or a seminar and you'll hear somebody in your industry say, you know, our close rate, the industry standard for close rate is 93% or the industry standard for gross margin is 62%. And you'll come back and you'll say, you know, we got we to gotta get to that 62% gross margin or we got to get that 94% close rate, whatever the numbers are. And we just, we're going to roll that out. And people don't have a, a, a frame of reference for what the starting point is. And so I'd ask you, if you were like me, a person, I've got, you know, plenty of weight to lose. No question about that. If I were to, if I were to set a goal of losing, you know, getting down to, let's say, 190 pounds, which that's a pretty lofty goal for me. But let's say I picked 190 pounds as my goal. What do you think the first thing I would do is once I, once I chose that goal? I would probably jump on a scale and see where I'm at. Now, why is that? It's because people like to see progress. People want to know where they're at relative to the goal, where their starting points. So they can celebrate a little bit. Hey, I've gone this far. 
you are way less likely to lose a considerable amount of weight if you don't jump on the scale and figure out where your starting point is. Same thing with any initiative, any endeavor, anything you want to take on, any improvement you want to make in your business. If you say you want to get to a 94% close rate, the, the thing you want to do first is figure out what's our close rate today. Why? Because your team wants to know if they're making progress. They want to have that feeling of satisfaction that we're making progress. You will demoralize them and you will not get them. They will not be as likely to follow the initiative and get on board with what you want if you don't give them the opportunity to be successful and to see that they're being successful. So this is one of the things that that business owners and, and leaders and managers often do is they just say, we're going to hit this goal, but we're not going to take the time, whether it takes a day, a minute, an hour, or two weeks to figure out where we are today. And I'm telling you, in my opinion, this is one of the things that can make or break people getting on board with your initiative. If they don't know where you're starting at, all they know is the goal that eliminates a good chance of them being able to success, uh, to celebrate success and to see that they can actually make progress. If you just throw out the goal at 94% and they don't know where they're at, they, they, they don't even know if they can do it. They don't, even know, they don't even have confidence that they can even achieve a goal like that if you don't tell them where they're at. So people need to feel like they're making progress. And at this step, I would recommend committing to not allowing these kinds of statements um, and input to determine your current status. So statements like assumptions, and these sound like, I'm pretty sure this that we're at this point, or I'm pretty sure we're doing this right, or that's how I told them how to do it, or I told them they should be doing it this much, or you know these kinds of assumptive um, statements. I think our close rate is somewhere around 78%. But we're going to go to 90, 94% or 88%. We're going to go to 94%. These are not the kinds of statements that are going to instill confidence in people that you've really thought this through. And I would ask you, would you accept those kind of responses from an employee about depositing a $10,000 check in the bank? Well, I told so-and-so to do it. That's probably not a response you would accept from an employee on something that really mattered. So if you want this to really matter understand that you're going to have to demonstrate to the employees that we've thought this through. We've actually taken the time to measure where we're at today. Here's the goal. Here's where we're at. Here's how we can make progress. The next kind of statement I would avoid uh, making, we uh, talk about determining our current status are absolutes. And those sound like, well, we never do that. Or we always do it this way. So we talk about, you know, we need to improve our process adherence on whatever following the sales process or, or following some kind of operational process. What we wouldn't want to have is somebody in the meeting when we're talking about rolling these things out, like we need to get to 100% compliance on whatever process it is, operations or sales or whatever. What we wouldn't want to have is somebody in that meeting go, well, we always do it that way. <laughs> good luck with, I mean, it's just, people are just going to like start tuning things out at that point. And if you're making absolute statements like that, it clearly indicates you don't know what you're talking about. It just, you, it, if you said we do it 95% of the time or 96% of the time, now you got some credibility, but when you make these absolute statements, people just by and large, you know, kind of tune it out. Uh, the next one is generalities. They sound like this. Half the time, this is what happens, or most of the time, this is how it turns out, or, you know, pretty much every time we do this, this is how it works. You know, again, these kind of generalities, they're not any kind of measurable number. They're just kind of gut feelings. Sometimes they're accurate. Sometimes they're not. These are not the ways to establish our current starting point. We should be asking questions like, how often are we doing this wrong? Why is it we're doing that? Why is it we want to make this change? Why is it important we're making this change? What is this costing us currently? How often are we doing it right? How often are we doing it wrong? What's our current specific starting place? So we went ahead, we talked about last week about having a specific goal. 
We want to have a specific identifiable starting place. And this is, again, this is one of the steps I think is most critical and is very often overlooked. People just, they just get in a hurry and they assume it's a waste of time to identify, to take a day or a week or two weeks or whatever it takes to identify where we're at. And I would argue that it may seem like you're, you're slowing your, your, uh, your growth or your improvement by a couple of days or whatever it takes you to figure out where you're at. But I would, I would argue that you will make that time up dramatically because people will be way more likely to be on board with the thing the initiative, the endeavor, the improvement, whatever it is you're trying to do, if they know specifically where they're starting out. Again, if somebody was going to lose weight, the first thing they do is jump on a scale and see where I'm at. I want okay, now I know I got to lose 42 pounds that, or 27 pounds. Or that, now I have a gap. I have a, a starting place and end point. People need that to, have, to make improvements and to ad- adhere to, over the long haul, making improvements. If you take that away from them, it's just going to be harder for you to get them on board and to stay on board. Step four is determine the criteria your decision will be made upon. And again, this is one of those steps that's probably the most often skipped. This one might be the most often skipped. We jump to just making decisions without first asking ourselves, what criteria should we use to make a decision on this? And sometimes we skip it because it's really hard. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what's, what's more important, cost or effectiveness or whatever. We'll get into some examples here in a minute. That, if it's difficult, that's where we need to invest our time, figuring out what the priorities are. Like, how should we go about making this decision? What are the factors that really matter? If we can't, if we don't have a clear answer on that and we just jump ahead to making decisions, we're probably going to regret it. So this is the step that's most likely to keep us from making overcorrections or to panic. If we understand why we make a decision, we can be more confident as the process unfolds. We can be more confident in the in the re, this decision we make if we understand why we came to that decision. And, you know, if we don't understand what the criteria are, we we go and we just kind of go with whatever the whatever the mood strikes us in the moment. We don't really take the time to articulate what matters. We're just less likely to have an outcome that is predictably solid. So we got to ask ourselves which factors are, which factors are the most relevant, like cost. So think of how much easier it would be to decide what a good spend is because we figured out what our starting our starting point and if applicable, what it's costing us to continue with what we're doing. So in, in the last step, we talked about like what's our starting place. If we're doing something wrong, how often are we doing it wrong? And what's that cost us? And then when we get to this step, we can say, here's how much a good spend would be. If we, but if we don't know what it's costing us from the last step, we, if we don't figure out how much is costing us in lost time, lost productivity, lost dollars? You know, let's say that you know we want to take our, our close rate from 88% to 94%. What's that costing us in dollars? You know, let's say it's costing us $100,000 a quarter. Then when you say, okay, it would cost us $20,000 to train people to make this improvement, you know that that's a good spend because $20,000 to train people one time to get $100,000 a quarter, that's obviously a really good spend. That's a great ROI on your investment. If you didn't take the time to figure out what it's costing you, and what your starting point is in the last step, and you don't take the time to figure out what the factors are most relevant in this step, you can't even have that conversation about what is a good spend. All you're going to do is say, no, that, that's, that sounds like too much money. Somebody told you $20,000 to, to train something. Your gut reaction is going to be, that's, that's insane. That's too much money. But if you take the time to quantify it versus where you're at and what it's costing you, now you can make a much better decision. So now we can make a decision on what a reasonable uh, and good spend is to make this improvement. We wouldn't have that opportunity had we not taken the time in those two steps. Other factors we might consider being relevant could be effectiveness. 
How likely is it this thing is going to work? Whatever we're trying to do. How likely is it we can get to 94%? You know, if, if that, if we, if we think that that's a kind of a long shot, then maybe we say, well, Hey, let's, let's go from 88 to 92%. Let's do that. And then we get to 92%. Then we'll, then we'll get to 94%. Uh, other factors might be training or implementation time. When you're, when you're trying to decide, you know, you have a couple different ways to go about things. Hey, we have a limited amount of time to, for training. Uh, we need to, we need to pick a, a, a we need to make a choice and pick a solution that will fit within our training budget, our training time that we allot or allow for you know each month or each week or every quarter or whatever. Uh, likelihood of success could be a factor. Uh, negative or positive impact on customers, employees could be a factor. Like is this going to make our employees' life miserable? That's a that's a pretty big factor, right? If, and and some of these things you're going to figure out as you go through the conversation. My point is, if you can determine what the factors are and kind of rank them. Like, what's the order priority of these factors? It will just help you be more confident in the decision. And you won't make these wild overcorrections. So many of you are going to have to figure out, like, a marketing strategy and adjustments you're going to make here and there. Factors in marketing can include cost. How much am I going to spend on this? You know, what's my ROI going to be? Um, speed. In a marketing uh, campaign, how long is it going to take this thing to become effective? Is it, is it you know, we turn the switch on on day one and, and the ads are live and we're, we're expecting to get results right away? Or is this something we're going to, it's going to be a 12-month campaign that's going to take some time to, you know, we don't have any hope of having uh, good results for the first 90 days, the first six months. Is that a factor for you? Capacity might be a factor in, in your marketing campaign decision-making. Like, how fast do we need to ramp up our capacity? Do we have the capacity today? We can't have a campaign that brings us 50 leads a day if we only have capacity for four. Uh, confidence in the methodology of the provider might be a factor in marketing specifically. Um, you have to be able to trust the people that you're giving your marketing dollars to. So in a marketing application, those might be four or five of the different factors you would consider. Uh, and picking the priority between cost and speed might be difficult. And difficulty prioritizing is okay in this in this step. That means you're focusing your energy and your, and your uh, time in the right place. I would say embrace the difficulty of prioritizing your criteria. By doing so now, you're saving yourself a lot of time, money, and anxiety and frustration later on. If you don't go through the step of figuring out what factors and what criteria you should be making a decision based upon, you're going to make a quicker decision, but you're going to be less um, inclined to stick with that decision, and you're going to start making corrections or even overcorrections. We're going to be uh, prone to having... um, changes of heart and and just again making these overcorrections if we're not confident in how we came about making our decision. So if we just like have a, make a shoot from the hip kind of decision, we're not we're not anchored to that. We're not tied to that decision in any meaningful way. So it's super easy just to make a different decision later on. When we make these overcorrections, these are lateral moves and these lateral moves keep us from making significant progress forward towards our goal. So my whole my goal in following this decision making process is to keep from making those lateral moves that are just big wastes of time. I want to be making forward progress towards my goal. I do not want to be going side to side, making overcorrection to different overcorrection. So this identifying the criteria that matters is one of the ways I keep myself from doing that. Step five, this one's pretty self-explanatory. Identify the available options uh, to achieve the desired outcome. Sometimes there's going to be lots of possible solutions Sometimes it's going to be a matter of, are we going to do this or not? Uh, it, you know, sometimes it's just yes or no. Sometimes it's, uh, we have this choice or that choice. Sometimes you'll have 37 different options. Uh, and you might ask yourself, what are the pros and cons of each option? And that'll get you to step six, which is weigh the options based on the criteria you've established 
and make a decision. So steps five and six, pretty self-explanatory. These are ones that people by and large uh, naturally follow. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those. So the first step, as we discovered, uh, discussed in the last episode, uh, step one, objectively assess the qualifications of the decision maker. Step two, determine the desired outcome. We got to be specific. Step three, we got to objectively assess where we are today. This is a step that commonly people rush through or overlook entirely. People, including your employees, need to feel like they're making progress. And at this step, we got to keep ourselves from making statements that are assumptions, absolutes, or generalities. We should be asking questions like, how often are we doing this wrong? What's this costing us? Why is it important we make a change? These kinds of questions will help us identify what the criteria should be, which is the next step, uh, determine the criteria decision should be made upon. This is probably the most skipped step of all of them and the process I follow and this is the step that's most likely to keep us from making overcorrections or to panic or to give up or to lose hope or whatever. Um, this is the step that keeps us anchored to it, and we, we can trust that we made a good decision. If we understand why we made a decision, we're more, more confident as the whole process unfolds. And we in this whatever we implement or we initiative we roll out or whatever, it gives us confidence to see it through and not make those wild overcorrections. Uh, we have to figure out which, which factors are most relevant, like cost, effectiveness, training, uh, likelihood of success, negative or positive impact on customers and employees, and what is the order of priority of these factors? This is a thing that's really critical to teach your leadership team is taking the time to develop what are the factors that should be driving our decision. Take the time to teach them how to do that stuff. That's that's one of the things that people are not naturally good at doing on their own. Uh, we'll pick the priority between, you know, um, let's say cost and speed. It might be difficult. It's okay if it's difficult to pick these priorities. That means we're spending our time in the right place. It does not mean we should skip this step because it's too hard. If we're having difficulty, that means this is the place for us to be. We're spending our time in a good place. If we skip identifying and prioritizing the criteria and skip ahead, we won't be confident. We'll be prone to making uh, you know, radical changes or overcorrections. And overcorrections are lateral moves, which keep us from making significant progress towards our goal. This is one of the things that people have to, we have to teach people. Again, it's super like, oh, it makes perfect sense once you, t- once you teach it. It's not something your leadership team is intuitively going to come to conclusions on their own. Step five, identify the options uh, to achieve the desired outcome. Sometimes there's a lot. Sometimes it's yes or no, we're going to do this or not. Sometimes it's we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Sometimes you're going to have a bunch of different options. And then step six, of course, we've weighed the options based on the criteria we've established and we make a decision. So that's steps three, four, five, and six. We got one more episode on this three-part series on decision-making. There's another couple of steps on the next episode we're going to talk about. They're very critical that are often overlooked. So um, that's pretty much it for this week. Again, if you have friends who are business owners or colleagues in service industries, I'd please invite you to uh, share this with them. It uh, means a lot to me when you guys are doing that. Our ratings are going up. This, uh, this series in particular is one that I was asked to do by somebody who's trying to teach their leadership team how to make decisions, and they didn't really have a process for doing that. Um, this is really helpful for both us as leaders individually, but also people who want to grow a business. So if you know somebody who's trying to grow a business in the service industry and they have a leadership team they're trying to develop, these would be great episodes for you to share with them. If you haven't had time, please give us a rating review. Subscribe if you have. Uh, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. And uh, that's all for this week, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>